Hello and welcome to Chick Flicks. I'm Mackenzie Chapman. And I'm Bridget Hovell. And in this episode of Chick Flicks, we're talking about two vampire movies, Only Lovers Left Alive and A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. But first, let's catch up. Mackenzie, what is lighting your fire this week? (laughs) (laughs) So my friend that I work with, Nicole, and I started a book club that is just us. It's there's no other members. It's a book club with just two people. And we're we are in our third series. But the first the first two that we read were called uh, one was called the Raven Cycle series, which was recommended to me originally via cc from college you remember cc yes uh we are in film club together she has a a book review youtube channel called problems of a book nerd and she reviews a lot of ya stuff i think mostly just ya stuff Mm -hmm. um and it's one of her like favorite series so i really wanted to read that so i recommended that for the book club and it is so good it has like a queer romance that I wasn't expecting and that was really lovingly written and the author is actually doing a spin-off series just focusing on those characters oh wow which I'm very excited about that's coming out in I think November so <clears throat> yeah I'm really excited for that it's it's really good um and then the second series that we read was A Court of Thorns and Roses and let me tell you this book these are really sexy books. <laughs> what, are the, what are the premises of these books? <clears throat> so A Raven Cycle is about like a psychic, uh, a girl who is not a psychic. She's from a family of psychics. She's mm-hmm. in high school. It's in like Virginia. That's a bummer. And she becomes friends with, <laughs> she becomes friends with uh, like these four boys from a prep school that she she hates all the boys that go there but they become her best friends and then they're working to solve the mystery of like where this old welsh king is buried basically. i love it yeah um it is kind of similar into to like a k-drama premise in that like a girl becomes friends with a group of four prep school boys and do they all kind of are they all like into her kind of or at uh, least yeah of sort of yeah yep okay <laughs> i love it but it's really good and then um, The Court of Thorns and Roses is, like, a more deeply fantasy series. It's about um, a girl who is a human, but she gets, like, taken into the fairy lands mm-hmm. when she kills a fairy. and um, Or the fae. That's what they're called. I'm familiar. And, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> she... It gets involved with, like, having to save them from this uh, blight upon the land, is what I'll say. Uh, But the first book is kind of gives you... it. I can't, like, say much without spoiling it, but the first book I read and I was like, you know what? I'm not super into this romance Mm -hmm. right now. Like, like, it was hot, like, the sex scenes and everything. But I was not, like, feeling it like I was feeling say the connections i was in the raven cycle but mm-hmm. by the second book let me feeling tell it. you <laughs> yes it, okay. it like turns us on its head I, I feel like it's really refreshing to have like multiple uh like relationships for mm-hmm. a main character like that are feasible i guess it's not like a love triangle it's more like a she like 
She's yeah. a young woman, and it's not like she meets the the first guy she meets is like exactly the yes. one she's yeah. destined to be with. Nice. Yeah. So what um, about you? What I'm into this week, um, I've been reading a lot of really good books lately, and I kind of feel like I'm now I. I've read so many – this is not – this is like a weird brag, weird flex. I've read so many good books recently, like back-to-back, that now I just feel like I need to follow it up with something also really good or I'm going to stop this like streak of um, mm. kind of like enthusiastic reading. But mm-hmm. um, I just finished a book called And Now We Have Everything by Megan O'Connell. And it's a memoir of uh, this young woman. She's 29 when she gets pregnant uh, with her boyfriend and her overwhelming ambition in life is to be a writer. And so she's kind of contending mm-hmm. with like – wanting this one thing really badly while also very badly wanting to have this child. Um, and I really recommend it. And it's just, it, it's weird to like, I'm kind of like into reading about uh, pregnancy and birth. Like I'm not ready to have a baby, but <laughs> it's very interesting to me. And to read her birth story, it kind of feels like sci-fi almost, but it's, Ooh. but it's like something that could happen to my body, you know? So you're reading it and yeah. you're like, holy shit, like this isn't grossing. Um, Mm -hmm. and they're like these weird mix of like both like very mundane stories because like, obviously we are all born and we all have a birth story. That's how we got here. And like very exciting and, um, almost like theatrical. So I really enjoyed that. That was, and now we have everything by Megan O'Connell. And I've also been watching a lot of Jeopardy, uh, I think inspired by (laughs) Alex Trebek's, um, pancreatic cancer diagnosis and all of the episodes are up on Netflix right now. And I Mm -hmm. will say that we have particularly enjoyed the, college series because the categories in regular jeopardy are like 18th century the mothers of 18th century poets and then the categories <laughs> in college jeopardy are like states <laughs> other colleges math and it'll make you feel really smart like they had one section that was just like literature and it'll be like an obvious quote from anyway if you want to feel smug watch college jeopardy uh and you'll <laughs> be older than all the kids too probably and it just feels good so that's what i'm into and have you uh, uh ha- sorry no, it's okay. have you read the argonauts by oh hell uh, yeah Maggie Nelson? hell yeah Does she that reminds me of like birth yes exactly oh i thought and, that like, was the connection to jeopardy way. and i was like hmm but you mean the first one yeah 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 no, no, no. yeah <laughs> i loved argonauts by maggie nelson um yeah it, it is it's like uh, it's like as a like a a, a young woman it's just like interesting to read because it's like kind of like the imminent future for some of us Mm -hmm. you know and at the same time it's a kind of like curious mystery Mm -hmm. that that could happen to our bodies yeah Uh, and now here's a segment we call the sandbox where we check in on (laughs) updates on the production of the new adaptation of dune with timothee chalamet directed (laughs) by dennis villeneuve um I should really pronounce all those names with more of a French flourish. I think it might be Denis. Denis Villeneuve. Is it? I have no I idea. You're probably right. I have no idea. Man, just as a quick aside, I listened to this NPR podcast, All Songs Considered, recently, where they did an episode on a South by Southwest. And, like, I love NPR. I love NPR podcasts. But for mm-hmm. some reason, and I think NPR is a super diverse company and has many, like, uh, diverse hosts, they're music department is headed by three middle-aged guys named robin steven and bob and this is an episode with robin steven and bob who are all like over 45 i'm gonna guess Mm -hmm. and they were talking about all of these different artists at south by southwest and a lot of them had um 
like non-white sounding names and they'd be like okay one sec i i think i'm gonna pronounce this right and i was like this is npr come on like try a little harder as i just butchered uh denny villeneuve's name anyway yeah. i know well we're like i think we do try yeah but we should probably i guess maybe we should not be like are we pronounced i don't know yeah i know but that's it, it, made me, it made me think about I don't that give a fuck yeah we, if we it's this guy it exactly it's a, a yeah. french a french name <laughs> Exactly though I I feel I felt that way listening to it I was like they they sh- no like I white people shouldn't like hedge you know like am I pronouncing this right it's like look up how to pronounce it and I do this all the time yeah on this podcast so yes <laughs> going to be better going forward yeah <laughs> or try yeah um, anyway we read this great article called why it's important to consider whether Dune is a white savior narrative by Emily Asher Perrin where they discuss um, different plot points of Dune in the, like bringing up the fact that um, the main character, Paul is coded as white and the people he takes up with um, the Fremens are coded as like indigenous uh, people of color and what that means for the narrative. And I think they make a really interesting point that it kind of has the bones of a white savior narrative, Mm -hmm. but the longer Dune story in the books is about how Paul is like ultimately a bad leader and like does not save yeah. the Fremen. Um, yeah. I was, I was, that was, I've never read any of the other books besides the first one, but I would be interested to, but I also, I mean, I haven't read it since high school, so I would like to reread it before uh-huh. I can really like give a smart. <laughs> we will. How about, about this before the movie yeah. comes out? Yeah. Yeah, we will. But I think that, uh, I mean, I loved the book, but I did have my reservations about Paul, if I remember correctly. Yes. So the the point that Emily made in their article did, uh, I was like, oh, wow, this is probably like spot on. Yeah. And also, I think it, when we reread it before Timothée is in the movie, we're going to be like, <laughs> dang, these gender politics are kind of fucked up. Like, yeah. I, know, I know some of it's really cool. And like, there is like a cult of badass lady warrior priest but uh also um this person at the very end of their article i think it's like in their bio makes a like a little brief statement that paul should be non-binary because he's supposed to embody feminine and masculine energies at the same time and i was like that's a really good point yeah frank herbert was alive yeah someone should just like take dune and just like completely like upend it you know like adapt it in a looser way yeah 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 cool all right ready to dive in yes so our first movie is only lovers left alive in this 2013 film by jim jarmusch we are introduced to adam and eve married vampires who spend their nights in detroit and tangier respectively portrayed by tom hiddleston and actual vampire tilda swinton Adam and Eve are centuries old, but act like disaffected teenagers. Adam, in particular, is disillusioned with humanity, even though he has supposedly helped craft some of the greatest works of literature and music in history. Only Lovers Left Alive follows the couple as they try to find their way in a world that is becoming increasingly unwelcome to them. Mackenzie, was this your first time seeing Only Lovers Left Alive? It was my second time. Mm-hmm. So... When did you I think first I liked see? it a little less. I guess I first saw it like when it came, must like around when it came out, just because a bunch of critics are talking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like I've been meaning to see this movie for six years because it's six years old. <laughs> like when I saw that it came out in 2013, I was like, "How is that possible?" Because I've just been meaning to see this movie for six years <laughs> and I haven't seen it. So this was my first time watching it. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's also my first time watching any Jim Jarmusch movie. And mm. not that impressed with this. Well, I think, like, so I think he's definitely a great filmmaker, but mm-hmm. he's definitely really pretentious. <laughs> yes. So, and this definitely comes through in this movie. And I think I've seen Coffee and Cigarettes, but uh-huh. it didn't really make an impression on me much, except for that it was, like, pretty pretentious. Um, so, oh, well, and I've seen Ghost Dog. I wrote a paper on it for my religion and film Ooh, class. Oh, very nice. <laughs> That sounds like an awesome uh, class. Dang. It was like, all right. It the, I mean, not, none of the professors at Drew except for Shakti were film professors. They were yeah. all like English like, professors. Yeah. So if I took like Chinese film, it was like my Chinese professor and like not, it was like, <laughs> or like, ger- like German, fi- like same thing. I took all of the classes by different, whatever. Anyway wasn't great (laughs) it was a cobbled together major to say the least it was a quilt thank yes thank god for shakti shout out to shakti our excellent film professor in college yeah oh my god well imagine if she listened we're gonna get her too we'll send her this episode if we say enough intelligent things so this so the the main couple in the movie who are played by uh tom hiddleston and tilda swinton um, I think they're supposed to be like stand-ins for Jim Jarmusch and his partner, Sarah Driver, who he dedicates the movie to. And if that is so, and he is kind of seeing himself in the character of Adam, hoy boy, uh, like <laughs> what a major eye roll. Um, yeah. So I, I guess let's start by talking about the main performances in this movie. Uh, what did you think of Tom and Tilda? Uh, they definitely... Uh... They were they were doing it. They were acting. I feel like they were acting. Um, <laughs> I feel like <laughs> till I feel like Tilda Swinton just like is a, like a vampire. She just is like is like yeah fits it perfectly. And then Tom Hiddleston, I feel like was he's very brooding. It's almost like a little too much, but it might have yeah. like just been his character. Yeah, it's like, let's be honest. How What is Tom Hiddleston in this movie doing differently than Robert Pattinson is doing in Twilight? Because hmm. I saw a lot of reviews wow, compare right. this to Twilight and be like, these are real vampires. And it's like, well, if we're just talking about performances, like Robert Pattinson and Tom Hiddleston are playing this at the exact same level, which is like brooding, yeah. moody, kind of an artiste. Mm-hmm. Um femme kind of white guy ish mm-hmm. uh and honestly I'm, I'm a big tilda swinton fan even though i do kind of think she's able to kind of just this is gonna sound really shitty but like she's such an unusual looking person that i think a lot of her performances are, are like based on the fact that she's an unusual looking woman yeah except for like like i really loved her and we need to talk about kevin yeah it's yeah, like a stretch I, I think yeah 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 for sure she also mm-hmm. was in a movie that I that like was completely in Italian, and she just did a, the movie. She like can speak Italian, so she just did the movie. Was I it um, by the guy who did Call Me by Your Name? Possibly. Throw yeah, finds in it. It's like lovers. Yeah, something. Love, it was love, very like a soap <laughs> opera. Yeah, but yeah, but so she's definitely like really impressive. It's just like this movie. I think yeah yeah is proud she's impressive because she looks like a vampire exactly so. <laughs> exactly but i don't and, think that's like 
maybe anything to do with her. I think it's like just the movie doesn't give them that much to really do. True. That's another good point, especially her. Um, Adam kind of gets the main arc in the film, which is he's depressed. He thinks humans are kind of like worrying, ruining the earth, um, that they're kind of like stagnating. They don't produce any great art. He's like a total, like your idea of what the general populace thought of hipsters in Brooklyn like maybe mm-hmm. 10 years ago, which is that he like is unimpressed by everything. Um, he hates people who sell out. He kind of has this idea that like art should be kept private and um, hmm. all those like kind of lame ideas about art. And he wants to kill himself, but he doesn't. And Tilda's just kind of reacting to his acting, I think, in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, she doesn't really have, in my opinion, like much of a character to go on other than that. She's like an ethereal vampire, uh, spouse. <laughs> yeah. I feel like she definitely seems like she could be the more interesting of yeah. the two, but isn't given the chance to really explore that. Like, I like that she does take the time to... I guess in the same way that Adam takes the time to appreciate, like, old guitars and stuff, she takes the time to, like, look at a skunk and be like, wow, a skunk. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I I just, like, uh, I don't know. Part of that was beautiful to me in that it kind of reminded me of why I like movies so much in mm. that it forces you to look at, like, a certain image. Yeah. And you have to consider why it's important. I guess that just kind of, I did like that she did that because sometimes I forget to do it. So yeah, it's like putting things in a frame, you know, and highlighting them. Um, yeah. yeah, And I think I was reading that, um, the backstory for these two vampires is that she's thousands of years old and was the matriarch of a Druid clan, which is kind of her connection to the natural world. And Adam Mm -hmm. is young. He's like 500 years old, which good for her picking up a younger man. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I wonder if she turned him. I oh yeah I wonder that's interesting I that like brings us to something else about this movie where um it's funny at some points you're like they're not giving us enough like context about these characters and then at other times they beat you over the head with the same note over and over again Mm -hmm. and what I mean by that is like we don't really we don't know who turned like we don't know their backstories it's very um casually mentioned that Tilda Swinton's sister um Ava she's like she's not really my sister and it's like what does that mean we never know but we get so much dialogue where the whole conversation is just a setup for them to name drop, like, Mary Shelley. Yeah. You know, or <laughs> William Shakespeare. And it's like, Jesus, we yeah. get it. You're old and you knew a yeah. lot of people. Yeah. They did. I In the article we read, the interview with Jim Jarmusch, he was like, I had to cut out so many name like references to make because it was almost unbearable so i had to cut down and i was like dude it was still unbearable you did not (laughs) cut down enough also he says in that interview their vampiric state is a metaphor for the fragility of humans and i think like vampires are used as interesting metaphors in lots of different movies and tv shows but didn't really get that one i guess because they were like worried about contamination of their blood source uh but yeah i did not get that at all i thought rather this was kind of like almost a metaphor for like aging you know where they like don't feel in touch with like younger populations or yeah and also maybe like what's the point of immortality if you're just like 
I don't know. It seems like you're just angry that people aren't making good music. <laughs> yeah, it, it it seems like they've lived so long that they've lost a reason. Like, why keep live? I don't know. Maybe I'm being like, yo, you know what it's like? It's kind of like when people complain about there not being any good music made right now. And it's like, yo, you have access to streaming. Like you can literally look up any type of music you want. Like you have no idea how much good music is out there, but you're complaining Mm -hmm. that nothing is good because it doesn't sound like the music that was made when you were 25. Yeah. 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 Um, That brings me to my main man, Richard Broads in the New Yorker (laughs) did not like this movie. Um, <laughs> and this is him talking about um, how these vampires in Only Lovers Left Alive talk about humans. He says, for the couple, the world's Manchian division is between vampires, the connoisseurs and the creators, and zombies, which is everyone else, who have what Adam calls fear of their fucking imagination, a metaphysical twist on the hip in the square, but one that Jarmouche takes seriously. His vampiric artist reputed fame, the realm of zombies, and rather get their work out there in secret using the names and reputations of the famous. The movie, with its vehemently anti-pop orientation, sets up a hidden cultural aristocracy that burrows termite-like through the history of art to deliver the highest treasures surreptitiously, communicating secretly with other sanguinary hipsters, which I love, why satisfying the vulgar zombie clamber. Uh, there's even a scene, there's a scene at the end of the movie where she writes about where they're watching a Lebanese singer and Eve suggests that she'll become famous one day and Adam responds, she's way too good for that. This is an anti-pop movie. This is like uh, A Star is Born. <laughs> I haven't seen A Star is Born yet. Neither have I, so. but I feel confident in Okay. Yeah, I... So I guess my favorite part about this movie is like, I do, I do buy their love story. Mm-hmm. I know I like, I know you that you don't think they have chemistry, but I think they do. I think they're good, like partners. Um, and like, like when they first meet each other after years of being apart and when they like embrace, I think that like it, that, that, that scene his chemistry and then again when they're like dancing together i just and like mm. dri- even like going on long drives at night i'm like wow like that they're they're being cute <laughs> yeah i'd like to restate that i don't think they have sexual chemistry but when you put it okay. like that they do seem like people who have been together for hundreds of years yeah <laughs> like i'm like oh, okay yeah they they're like what are we gonna do like oh i don't know we're just gonna drive around and look at some skunks or like go outside and check out our garden um yeah. so okay you're right that's believable to me yeah. um what did you think of the other two performers in this movie, um, Anton Yelchin and Mia Wasikowski? Wasikowska, I think. Okay, yeah. But um, I could be wrong. But um, I, well, I love Anton Yelchin. He's such a sweetie in he's this so movie, sweet. as in like every other movie he's in. R.I.P. Yeah. Um, but he just plays like this. Uh, fixer basically for adam who Mm -hmm. gets some stuff like old guitars and things that he wants and he just seems like he idolizes adam and he's like got uh stars in his eyes and just very like innocent Mm -hmm. and then mia vashikowska fucking murders him (laughs) yeah (laughs) she's kind of like a party girl Mm-hmm. who lives in LA um yeah. and we don't get much of a backstory on her she's kind of annoying um she doesn't I, really I feel like there's no reason for her to be in this movie really besides killing Ian 
Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, agreed. And the other vampire is William Hurt plays Christopher Marlowe, who is a real historical figure who is a contemporary of Shakespeare's. And in this movie, he is secretly the author of all Shakespeare's great works. This is, um, he has a death scene at the end of the movie where they rush back to Tangier and he's on his deathbed because he's been poisoned by blood. And, um, and he is dying and he conveniently has a framed picture of Shakespeare like next to his fucking bed and he just so he can point at it and go like fuck you Shakespeare took the credit for all my work but and it's like that's it's such a lazy setup that we're like we're gonna hear about this again just because there's a picture of Shakespeare I thought maybe that it could have been I did have like a knife in its forehead so I feel like it maybe could have been like I feel like at some point they alluded to possibly being lovers did I just make that up I don't know but that's interesting and also, yeah, and also, you know, I what, if you just, do have I, hundreds of years I, to brood, yeah, I don't know. I could have just made that up one hundred percent, but like, if I feel like it would make sense to have this, like, maybe I just constructed this, this is like, the s- segment where Mackenzie writes fan fiction about the movies that we've seen. <laughs> that would be cool, actually. What where like he's like he has complicated feelings because he like loved him, but at the same time he took credit for all his work. I don't yeah. know. I feel like. There could be something there. You know what? That, that's us. That sounds like a interest, more interesting movie than the one we watched. <laughs> um, this movie is also partially set in Detroit, which is where Adam lives. Um, and it's the second movie we've watched that has a setting in Detroit. Uh, it Follows was also set in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they both kind of use um, the city as like an interesting statement on decay. Uh, there's a review we read on movie.com that doesn't have an author so we we can't really credit it i wonder who wrote it (laughs) um where they say that no choice of setting could be more eloquent than detroit the one place on earth that incarnated the euphoric splendor of capitalism and now holds up an unflattering mirror to its gross miscalculations there where henry ford engineered the modern time swallowing up charlie chaplin and his sentimentality a theater was built it was the strategic shift from manufacturing to spectacle the same techniques of the assembly line were adopted in the music industry the sole flesh and genius of negroes subsumed by motown capitalism the vampire culture its predestined victim which is an interesting way of describing the movie um, and also describing like how Jim Jarmusch is using vampires in this film, mm-hmm. which is like what kind of what Richard Brody was saying too, that they're like the creators, uh, which is interesting because they're never really depicted as creators, you know, like they are kind of a, a parasitical supernatural being that uh needs others to survive um mm-hmm. by being immortal i don't know so um these two movies were kind of hard to find one star reviews for uh i think because they didn't have they weren't like mainly about uh or this movie wasn't mainly about a woman so there weren't a lot of angry misogynist trolls in the comments but i'll read the first one this says, says uh, this film seems to be written for goths who would t- like a very slow, painful story with no real direction or substance. It's like watching a film about two unhappy people, not even the excitement of real depression, just lazing around on a sofa. And I would say other than mischaracterizing what depression is like, that <laughs> this review is kind of accurate. <laughs> yeah. 
it's funny. I do they mean like depression is exciting? Ironically, I can't tell, but <laughs> yeah, that's the subtlety is lost on us. <laughs> uh, the next one star review is this movie is supposed to be about vampires, but I think is a vampire because I felt it draining my soul away as I watched. <laughs> Pretty clever. Uh, and then this last one. <laughs> Like, made me laugh. Uh, if you're a devotee to leftist memes, you'll particularly love this movie because just about all of them are represented. The characters lament constantly about pollution and how humanity is destroying the planet while making use of every modern convenience possible. They drive cars, fly commercial airlines, and even talk on cell phones without a single regard for the hypocrisy, which is like, LOL, all of us are doing that, but that's true. It's kind of funny. Yeah, that but is true. It's not it's, it, Yeah. Talk about generational wealth. Like, <laughs> you know? That's true. You don't really know how they get their money because they're just like are throwing around cash. Yeah. Uh, and have but it's just passports. because it's because they're so fucking old. Yeah. That's it's generally so it's literally like they're it's like they're their own like they're benefactors. exactly exactly. They, they inherited they, their own. <laughs> no uh, inheritance uh, tax <laughs> for these guys. Mackenzie, what are your final thoughts on Only Lovers Left Alive? Um, I still do like this movie and i think it is a really good like like in if the writing wasn't so pretentious i like if i take that out like the actual like cinematography Mm -hmm. and like actual film work is really good so Uh, i'll go with a six and a half I'm going to go with a five. I liked it for the same reasons you did. I think it's beautifully shot, very gloomy and gothic. Their costumes look great. Their makeup looks great. They look the part. Um, I like these performers in general. I like the supporting cast. We only see a little bit of Jeffrey Wright, but I think he's a great actor. Um, But yeah, it just kind kind of just bored me. Exactly like that reviewer said. It's kind of just about unhappy people lazing around on a sofa. Um, And I think vampires are such a potent metaphor when they're used correctly in film. And mm-hmm. I think they're at best like exciting and sexy while being like these, this terrible lesson on like mortality and youth. Uh, mm-hmm. And at worst, they're just kind of these uh, pretentious snobs. So I will yeah. give it a five. Uh, okay. And that was only lovers left alive. <laughs> Our next film we're talking about is A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Although its name purposefully conjures concern for its titular character, in the 2014 film A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, the girl does not need your worry or concern. She's not just a girl, but a vampire, and she not only walks, but skateboards. The girl glides along the dark streets of Bad City, searching for her next victim and performing almost bored acts of vigilante justice. She finds her lifestyle complicated when she meets Arash, a young Iranian man, and the girl finds a connection to her her humanity. A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night was written and directed by Anna Lily Amipur, and it is her first feature-length film. So, Mackenzie, this is not our first time seeing this movie. I think we've both watched it once before, mm-hmm. and it came out just a year after Only Lovers Left Alive, which is funny, because this movie almost seems like way more... Like, contemporary and fresh to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Even though it's also quite a few years old. Yeah. Um, and 
when we were talking about this movie before, I think we both were kind of exposed to it through Tumblr, which was making us think about what a great resource Tumblr was for us in college and high school for finding movies. Yeah. Because so Tumblr, like I was on Tumblr recently for uh, fan art for these like hot (laughs) books I'm reading. (laughs) So I needed to get that fix (laughs) and I (laughs) resorted to Tumblr. And I was scrolling through, and, you know, I forgot how awesome Tumblr movie GIF sets are. Like, that's, like, the main reason I was on Tumblr back in the day was movies. And they can make even a shitty movie look good. Like, it's really, like, an art. There's an art to, like, finding. It is, 100%. Distilling a movie into, like, nine GIFs where it's, like... Just it is. Moment. It's like a celebration of cinematography. It really you know? is. It's like, it's incredible. Like there was one that I saw specifically for like Solo, which I didn't really like that yeah. much. It wasn't a great movie. But if I had seen that GIF set, I would have been like, dang, I got to find out what this, this movie is. Yeah. So. Yeah. And yeah, like you were saying, you can remember like if someone didn't tag the movie's name in the yeah. notes, like you have to like go back yeah, yeah through all the notes trying to find what the movie was. I found so many great movies through Tumblr um, yeah. that I wouldn't have been exposed to, you know, like living in a small town yeah. in New Jersey. Uh, wow. The internet is really something. Um, <laughs> but A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night is one of them. This mm-hmm. movie kind of made a splash when it first came out. Um, and it is the directorial debut of a, a, a woman, uh, Anna Lily Amipur. Uh, and I love this movie. It's me too. <laughs> to me, much better than Only Lovers Left Alive. Yeah, it's really good. It, uh, it's like hits the love story, which of course is so important to me, as we all know. Yes, I'm yes, like yes. such a fucking sucker. Uh, it's like beautifully shot. The music is mm-hmm. great. It, the like it actually like means something <laughs> yeah you care about the characters 100 <laughs> percent. uh i read a lot of reviews that were like this movie is too atmospheric uh nothing happens and i'm like yeah no, so like this movie has just as much of a plot as only lovers left alive but i'm less bothered by it here because i feel more of a connection to the characters mm-hmm. who i would watch do nothing which is a lot of what the movie is sometimes we're mm-hmm. just like watching them pal around going about their lives mm-hmm. um and it's so beautiful and i think that the imagery is just more there's more subtext embedded in every shot we see and the mm-hmm. setting and the characters so it's set in this uh place referred to as bad city which is an iranian uh town but is actually filmed in california so it's this interesting mishmash the whole movie is really of Iranian and American influences like Arash is kind of like modeled to be like James Dean. Oh, he looks what a, a lot. He, first of all, he's so cute. Yeah. <laughs> so cute. He's just so sweet. We'll get to him. We'll talk more about it. Okay. You know, and then, and then the a pimp Saeed is kind of, he's supposed to be explicitly modeled on the guy from Die Antwerp. Uh, like, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, um, so it's just, I'm trying to find that interview with Anna, where uh, she says oh okay here it is she's talking about how the so the person who plays the girl is named sheila vand um and anna is a her parents are iranian but she was born in america and grew up here uh and she said i did go to iran finally but it's completely alien to me it's weird because sheila and i were talking about how with this movie we kind of made our own place that was as iranian as we are which is a mashup of so many things and i don't think you and i can really speak to that but it is 
very interesting and kind of evident in the movie that it is like this stitching together of different influences. Yeah. It's a powerful mm-hmm. thing to think about. I feel like. Mm-hmm. Like a first generation living somewhere else than your parents being influenced by their culture and kind of making your own at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love it too. Um, and I think when you view the movie as, when you move the view the movie through that like lens, there's even more added to it. Um, and I think a lot of the stuff that people could say there's not much plot is kind of picked up by how rich, exactly like I was saying earlier, how rich all of the imagery is. Yeah, like the girl looks amazing. Yeah, she's dressed in this uh, chador, like that is like a long mm-hmm. black. Um, what she and like she skateboards and she has like this striped uh like hipster almost like it is like young looking t-shirt mm-hmm. underneath um and when she skateboards with her chador it like flows behind her and she looks so like carefree i mean coming off of like watching skate kitchen recently and just realizing mm-hmm. like when i mean i've said this before i'll say it again i have a i don't like boy skaters <laughs> but <laughs> because taking a hard stance yeah. <laughs> boy skaters hate them they, they're just bullies okay I'm revealing... uh, in college they would like almost crush you <laughs> this is like really making us sound like we are like wallflower nerds but sometimes they would go too fast on the walkway <laughs> <laughs> but but watching skate kitchen and seeing like all these girls just skating around together mm-hmm. as like they just seem so carefree and like uh like filled with joy and just love for one another and that's how i felt watching the girl skateboard in this movie especially because like her chador is flowing behind her and it mm-hmm. makes her feel it makes me she looks like she's like flying or like gliding yeah which i mean also harkens back to her being a vampire so it's like she's kind of bat like i guess you could say yeah it's interesting i i listened to this invisibilia podcast once about why people are frightened of snakes and it's because like we can't understand how they move mm. and it like we literally scientists like don't really understand how snakes move mm. uh it's kind of like they're walking through the that's a whole other thing but that's that's what kind of, that kind of reminded me of when she's on the skateboard is like this this like fear for how she's moving yeah. and also like thinking back to only lovers left alive and the vampires there are kind of like rock star vampires mm. which you can name so many other vampires in pop culture that have that same look, like Spike, mm-hmm. just like, end of list, uh, <laughs> Spike from Buffy. Um, but this is like a way we've, we've never seen a vampire like this before, you know, um, yeah. and it's, it's immediately like the most defining part of the film. Uh, yeah. And it makes the film so special. Yeah. And she, they show her in her room. She has this room plastered with like pop icon posters from the 80s she yeah. she also has a record player and <laughs> yeah vampires just like are on that old shit they like yeah they're just <laughs> they, yeah inherently nostalgic anyway mm-hmm. um and she's like putting on makeup she's like dancing alone in her room she has a disco ball she just seems like a like a teenager almost and mm-hmm. like so real i guess which makes her like violent like Mm -hmm. vigilante justice so much more powerful i feel like yeah for sure my favorite scene of the movie is um the girl follows home this pimp who's extorting 
uh, Arash's father. He also kind of abused the sex worker, Ati, into having oral sex uh, with him. And so the girl follows him home and he invites her into his house. And the scene has such an interesting tension because she looks so meek. She looks so diminutive. But we know that she is neither of those things, Mm -hmm. that he did not stumble across her and, like, get her to come home. She is, like, in control of the situation at Mm -hmm. all times. Like, she chose him to fall, you know, to come into his house. And he is dancing around. Like, he thinks he's going to get laid with, like, this pretty little meek girl. Mm -hmm. He's dancing towards her with his chest exposed, um, you know, and kind of, like, rubbing himself and, like, Mm -hmm. getting excited. And she – he sticks his – finger in her her mouth and she bites it off and then as he's screaming on the floor she takes his finger and sticks it in his mouth yeah and it's it's just so great (laughs) um and it reminds me of the genesis of buffy the vampire slayer is like joss whedon was like what if a young blonde girl was actually the powerful one Uh, (laughs) (laughs) it's like that yeah 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 i i think this yeah i mean i'll say i guess i said this before but it's so powerful because she could be like our friend, you know, and like, like we yeah. don't walk home alone at night. Like yeah, exactly. we don't do that because we're afraid and for good reason. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. So the fact that she can do it, it just feels really powerful and special. Powerful. Yeah. And it makes her first scene where she meets Arash so cute yeah. and uh he's he's really drunk he's coming back from he's like he's high, like high. yeah yeah he's high he's coming back from a party he's like stumbling around dressed as dracula and she finds him and he's you know like their their connection is like instantaneous which is i, I love that shit <laughs> and uh he's like oh i'm not gonna hurt you uh you know and it's funny because we know that she is a vampire and um, he also just looks like such a dork he has this like yeah he does dracula he has a dracula costume on and it's the and kind so that where the uh the like collar goes super high up, up on yeah. behind you he just looks so he has the fake teeth that make like your gum stick out a bunch just, yeah he looks like such a dork so, yeah and it really he is kind of like the the feminine partner in the movie too mm-hmm. um which is interesting uh and uh, the scene where after the morning after they he goes to her apartment and they hang out uh where he's like looking at his breakfast and his dad is like why are you smiling <laughs> i know i love like <laughs> like in the same way that the girl is shown to be real i feel like like by dancing alone in her room and all that stuff mm-hmm. i feel like arash is like the same way he's like a vulnerable he's like allowed to be vulnerable and like a hot cool guy which i think is a unique combination and i guess very james dean of (laughs) uh but like um it's like who wouldn't him being that way it's like of course she's she's gonna have a crush on him like yeah exactly like she probably loves that shit yeah i know (laughs) Um, Kate Hagen, who we really love, who writes for The Blacklist, um, wrote about this movie and she said, like all vampire stories, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night uses very specific imagery. Oil derricks digging into Mother Earth, Arash's father shooting up, Saeed snorting coke, sucking on fingers as a prelude to sex and then murder, and body piercing to further explore the idea of penetration beyond vampirism, particularly that of the female body. 
Amirpour misses no opportunity to use these clear metaphors in clever new ways. Right before she drains Saeed, the, girl, the reveal of the girl's fangs is treated like what a nude scene would be in any other horror film. And after she bites off his finger, a trick she learned from watching Ati, the sex worker, she puts it back in Saeed's mouth, totally reversing their power positions. The girl is omnipotent and wields the masculine power of penetration with her fangs. So it makes sense that Arash embodies more traditionally feminine tropes within the narrative, which like, yeah, she put it perfectly. Mm -hmm. And I think that what she's saying to you about like the kind of theme of penetration uh, is also very, very interesting mm -hmm. in the movie. And it, when we were talking about it earlier, it brought us to this discussion of how many, we could probably name more books than movies, but how many movies and TV shows can we name about a mortal male human falling in love with a monstrous woman. Yeah. The reverse is as common as beauty and the beast, you know, mm -hmm. but it's really hard once you get down to it. Yeah. Like I can't think we should ask. people. Oh, maybe. Instagram. Okay. So I just thought of one. Okay. What is it? In the Chronicles of Narnia, this go I'm thinking about Tilda Swinton, so this is what I'm thinking no, no, of, no. probably. But uh, Edmund, the youngest mm -hmm. son of the four, he kind of like falls in love with the white, the, the the witch. Yeah, that's true. But I don't know if she was like a monster, though. You know, like I'm thinking of like monsters. Well, she. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I guess. I think we should make this a poll somewhere. Yeah. For well, definitely. Like, like, please, like, email us your thoughts because we can't I, mm. I would be I would want to read that book watch that. exactly I can think of um I haven't seen it but blood and chocolate I think it's like a 2006 werewolf movie with Hugh Dancy mm. um we should watch it honestly I was looking okay. it up the other day uh inspired by this conversation but it's about a female werewolf uh okay. and a young writer who falls in love with her but it's hard it's really really hard and I think it says a lot about like how we view both women and monsters. Like I was talking to Tim about it and he said Medusa, but I was like, nobody falls in love with Medusa. Yeah. I guess like sirens, but that's, I mean, I don't think that counts. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just hard. If you have, uh, if you can think of a mortal male human falling in love with a monstrous woman, email us at chickflickspodcast at gmail.com. I guess little mermaid. But she's okay. not monstrous. She's, she's like fantastical. She's not like yeah. a vampire or werewolf or anything like that. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's an it's a interesting trope that doesn't get flipped very often. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what do you think of the end of this movie? The ending? I love it because I think, so at the end, Arash realizes that as he's getting ready to run away with the girl out of Bad City, he realizes that she killed his father. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of, like, awkward. They're driving out. I don't think she knows that it was his father, but... Yeah, that's unclear. Yeah. But, but she saw him abusing... Adi. Adi, yeah. the sex worker, who she's kind of had this, like, kinship built with. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. she, I mean, he deserved it. Yes. Let's just say. He was, like, he, like, forced Adi to shoot up, and it was, like, really horrible. So. Yeah. It was fucked up. <clears throat> but, um, I liked it because, of course, Arash, you see him struggling with what to do. Mm -hmm. 
and I like that they showed that because you it's like of course he's going to struggle with what to do like yeah but in the end he did decide to go with her and they did kind of reconcile I feel like because at the end they're well they're kind of like avoiding looking at each other but at the end they slowly Mm -hmm. turn towards each other and I loved that and he put on a he put on a (laughs) mixtape yeah it's a very sweet um kind of ambiguous ending where it feels like they both need each other and are both like making a decision that's about like romance as much as I guess that's what is romance is sometimes just like needing another person uh (laughs) you know but it's 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 a great ending um they're both just so cute I don't know what to say yeah they really are they're they're I mean that's what makes this movie work is that they're both so like lovable and it's like a moody noir romantic western vampire movie yeah it's all these many things also did it make you want to cut your hair short again yeah she has her cute short haircut yeah i felt that way too i was like i've been thinking i'll probably cut it short pretty soon nice the return of the short-haired my yearly my yearly chop (laughs) um so this was a hard movie to find one star reviews for which is kind of a delight to me um i did find this guy wrote this great comment on rotten tomatoes his name he is the male ally of the week and his name is christopher g his review is about the same time as this film came out another horror film was released also by a woman one who was also directing her first feature film and that film also ranks among the best modern modern examples of the genre jennifer kent's babadook what amir poor and kent prove i think is that if more female talent was given a chance to make the films they are capable of, the kinds they desire to make, that many more would shine, and studios are doing a disservice by not considering filmmakers of that gender more often. I can probably count on one hand the number of horror movies since 2000 that I could put alongside either of these two. Which, this warmed my heart. Yeah. I picture him as, like, kind of like an old grandpa. Yeah. Did, did you? When he said, of that gender, I was like, ooh, yeah, you're an older man, right? <laughs> yeah, but like a cool one, you know. A cool, thank you, Christopher G. Uh, <laughs> and Mackenzie, do you want to read The Male Enemy of the Week? Yes, ENT says, I could have done with a bit more substance with all the style. Seemed aimed at teenage girls. It's like... Let's unpack that, ENT. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's, wrong with, what's wrong with teenage girls? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Honestly, we, we like teenage girls they control everything like yeah. if you think about they, it they're they in charge the of this capitalist society they drive yeah. all the decisions yeah. behind it so it's like look at the college cheating scandal yeah. like the two main students are young girls who had all this money poured behind them to get them into college i don't know what point i'm trying to make ent but <laughs> your comment is stupid anyway I'm going to give this movie an uh, a 7.5. I don't know. Or an 8. I guess an 8. I can't remember. I don't know. I love it. <laughs> I'm going to give it an 8. Um, yeah. I guess I should be... I do want to mention, I guess, that Anna Lily Amarpour oh, yeah. has been under some like controversy um, because her movie that came out this past year called The Bad Batch, which I haven't seen yet, but I do want to see... Um, apparently all of the black people in it die and she was questioned about this by a black woman at a Q&A and uh, Anna 
really shut down the woman and was like, I'm offended that you'd even ask me that. Mm -hmm. And the woman was rightfully so hurt and embarrassed by the way that Anna treated her in this Q&A. And she sort of like took to Twitter about it. And Anna didn't really, she kind of buckled down on her stance of being... Like, I don't know. She just was not. She's kind of like obstinate and um, yeah, not like yielding to any criticism. Yeah, uh, exactly. Which is just I, not how you. We haven't seen the movie, yeah. but I feel like even if, you know, like I, th- I think the way she handled the criticism is what's upsetting. Like, yeah. Again, we, ha- we haven't seen the movie, so we don't know how that um, plot element plays out. Uh, but it's just that she kind of buckled down. Yeah. Uh, and. Was, and she also had, like, a blackface scandal, and her return there was like, I'm brown, so it's okay for me to dress up in blackface. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. So that was kind I of don't... disappointing. Yeah, like, I guess. I mean, yeah. It's just, you, would, it, yeah. you would hope that she would have a better response to these criticisms. Like, yeah. I, you know, I was thinking about... Um, I forget what uh, podcast I was listening to recently, but they were talking about um, the Me Too movement and Dan Harmon was called out. Oh, yeah. uh, And his response. And uh, I listened to his response and it was like really good. Pretty good. Yeah. Very very self-aware. Yeah. Willing to be self-aware and kind of like search about like what he could do better. Yeah. And, and what he did wrong. Yeah, yeah. And he he was like, I fucked up. It was horrible. I can't like he and I was like, wow. <laughs> How yeah, refreshing. It's, <laughs> it's we're like in a time where people are their mistakes are being brought to light. And it's like if you're really sorry, it's easy to make a good apology. You know, like you yeah. just have to center the offended like the the group that you hurt their their like feelings and perspective you know yeah. and like really understand what you did and it's hard for some, some people still yeah yeah which brings us to uh our women in film corner uh which this week we are going to link to an article about how rotten tomatoes changed its reviewing system so that trolls could not sink the reviews of captain marvel which is now in theaters um it's kind of silly. I was thinking about this, and it's like, it's kind of silly to start with that, like, people even care about Rotten Tomatoes, you know, in a way. Yeah. Uh, but it is crazy that there are men on the internet who want to spend their time <laughs> putting down a movie that wasn't even released yet, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's also crazy to think of, like, the power that that wields, I guess. Yeah, that's true, like, too. I mean, what other movies did, like, I think, didn't they try and do it for Black Panther? And and like Ghostbusters, the okay. Ghostbusters, and probably Black Panther as well. Um, and it's annoying because I think that these group of men are actually a very small percentage of moviegoers, mm-hmm. but they're very vocal and loud. It would really help us out if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ChickFlixPod and email us at ChickFlixPodcast at gmail.com. Our next episode will air on April 1st, and we will be discussing Aliens and Terminator 2. Very excited. Yes. And I guess, as you may have realized from this episode, we're, like, not going to just be doing horror, but, like, other genre films. Any movie that can be a chick flick. Yeah. Any movie can (laughs) be a chick flick. You can't box us in. Exactly. Uh, Chick Flix is researched and written by Bridget Hovell, that's me, and edited by Mackenzie Chapman, that's her. Many thanks to Tim Grieve Carlson for our music, and thank you for listening to Chick Flix.